0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I see you all. Um, So um, I don't know about you, but I I go through uh, various cycles in my life and in my spiritual practice where uh, I feel a uh, a calling to slow down, um, to reassess, to take a good close look at, at, uh, at what I've been up to. Um, and this is to really breathe deeply and carefully, and, and, and take a look at how I'm doing with my my desire, my my uh, goal to live out. Um the vow being to be interconnected with all of you. Um, and so, it's been many decades now for me of studying uh, Buddhism and um, teachings and of the Buddha and interpretations and commentaries of all kinds. Um, and uh, now that I have a number of my addictions in order, I have developed a couple of new ones, uh, one of which is an unhealthy relationship with Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I have recently heard. gotten rid of five cases of books out of my apartment. Um, and I noticed the other day that on my new books to be read, new books um, shelf, two things are true. One is it's all loaded up with with new books by Sharon Salzberg and Norman Fisher and Cush and Ellison and a bunch of other people. And the other is um that there's a book that I really liked that I'll talk about later. It's a poetry book called Above Ground. Um and there were at the beginning and end of that shelf copies of that book. <laughs> so <laughs> Amazon does this thing in my neighborhood and probably everywhere. But but if I order the book in the morning when I wake up, do my meditation in the morning, I'm having coffee and I see it. Thing for a book somewhere. It arrives at about four o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. which, if you have an addictive personality at all, just that's uh, that's uh, really takes care of it. Um, the The relationship is is such that now that Tick Not Hanh is gone and not, um, thereby able to put out a book every four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has one of his primary disciples, Kwang Lo, has a new book, which <laughs> their title may have interested may interest you the way it did me. Happiness is overrated. Uh, simple lessons on finding meaning in each moment. Um, So that's pretty cool. And even in my professional reading yesterday, I ordered a book called, uh, by uh, Mark Epstein, called The Zen of Therapy, Uncovering Hidden Kindness in Life. So the point of sharing that that particular kind of fun addiction as compared to other addictions that I and maybe some of you have um, toyed with in life, um, isn't to say that I know stuff because we all know stuff. Uh, in fact, for me right now in my practice, it's the opposite of that. It's um, I really am trying to practice now with knowing less and, and, uh, and saying less. You'll see how that works out this morning, um, but in um, experiencing more. So that's really um, what it's about for me is, is to show up uh, and savor experiences, really, really sit with what's happening here, what's happening with each of you, um, what's happening with us as a sangha and us as a community, um, and in a recent uh, talk that I was listening to, um, in addition to my um, uh, Amazon addiction, I somebody turned me on about a year ago, 15 years or so after most of you, to podcasts and, and Dharma talks online that you can listen to without a great disturbance of having to turn pages and lift up a book. So you just push the button and someone's talking. But anyway, there was a talk from you paisans that on the topic uh, the, the line that stuck for me was a concept called Yugen, and it's a Japanese concept um, from Japanese uh, aesthetics. Um, and it basically means an awareness of the universe that triggers emotional responses too deep and too powerful for words. Yugen, Y-U-G-E-N, an awareness of the universe that triggers emotional responses too deep and powerful for words. It's a... Uh, These philosophies, um, the talk said, come from Buddhist principles um, and that all things are considered either evolving from or dissolving into nothingness. And so that's one of those teachings that, you know, I had read a lot about, thought a lot about, analyzed and all that stuff. Um, But the concept, as they presented in that particular talk, was that nothingness is not empty space. Rather, it's a space for invitation or potentiality. So... They described it this way, if the sea represents potential and each thing is like a wave arising from it and returning to it, there are no permanent waves. There are no perfect waves. At no point is a wave complete. Even at its peak, nature is seen as a dynamic whole that is to be admired and appreciated. Well, that sounded pretty good to me. Um, the basic instruction buried in there uh, is to stop analyzing. And I'm not, I'm not anti-intellectual and I'm not anti-Amazon. So buy a lot of books and read them if that (laughs) works for you. But, but uh, my effort is going to be to do a little less of that for some season, for some cycle. Um, And, uh, and to try and just experience, really have these experiences and figure out how to, um, how to embrace them and savor them and actually live them, live these experiences. And uh, another book, even though I just said I wasn't going to do that, um, is this book that, it's, it's a book of poetry. It's called Above Buggy Ground by Clint Smith. Um, and while I am prone to hyperbole, uh, it is the best book of poetry that I've seen in the last 10 years. Um, Clint Smith is, a, a, he, he started out being a, the, the poetry slam champion of 2000 and something or other Um, So not poetry that I understood any of when I went back and looked at some of that. But here he's talking about being a dad and what it's like to have children and um, uh, and encountering the world from the space of being a dad. And then he goes into being a son and and, uh, and is an African-American person, uh, man. So he talks about that. Uh, But the book is just uh, uh, it's described. He described it this way. Poetry is the act of paying attention. Right. Poetry is the act of paying attention. And so for us as Buddhists, and most of our practice is about paying attention. Uh, and so often for me, I'm moving so fast um, and trying to get so many things accomplished at, at, at my job, theoretically a retired person, um, but still doing so many things. I counted last week uh, and I had 56 hours of scheduled time in, as a retired person in my calendar, 56 <laughs> hours. Mm-hmm. Um, So the only difference between my old life and this one is none of those hours were paid. (laughs) I'm still at it, but none of those hours are paid. So this, I think, is is what our practice is is about. And so uh, Dogen taught us uh, that the practice, practice realization is a matter of the everydayness, right? So... It's good to study. It's good to take to go to workshops. It's good to come to talks. It's good to do all of those things. But most important um, is the practice itself: sitting. And, and Dogen, when speaking about the precepts, said, um, "You know, if you're in zazen, um, what precept is not being honored? What precept is not being honored? Um, and that, uh, as in the as anyone has heard many times, uh, the Dharma is amply present in every person." Uh, but without practice, it is not manifested. Without realization, it is not attained. And so that's no Dogen's way of saying to us, it feels to me, like, okay, studying is good and all that, but uh, it's your life. It's the everydayness of what we're doing and, and how we live. Yang Yi, Minko Rinpoche, uh, further uh, clarified that by saying, today, today we are in a shared practice to recognize the true nature of our minds, empty, open, Luminous and aware. So, is everybody today feeling empty, open, luminous, and aware? <laughs> no one's told you yet you are all those things today. So, in my Buddhist practice and in my life as a person in recovery, uh, I'm aware of a beautiful invitation um, that we have um, to bring our consciousness to everything that we do, uh, as was just described. Uh, and if we do this, we're told in in these teachings, if we do this, if we bring our awareness to everything that we do. Um, We have the opportunity to change the focus from me to us. We have the opportunity to change uh, responsibility to responsiveness. And we have an invitation to change what we think of as spiritual intelligence into spiritual integrity. So it's not things we study and try to do, it's who we are and how we are in the world. Patrick Carnes, the recovery writer says, a key aspect of integrity is nimbleness of spirit. One moment we may need to speak up, the next moment we may need to be silent and genuinely listen. Responsiveness prompts us to perhaps follow a rule in the morning, see if this resonates with any of you as it does with me, follow a rule in the morning, enforce the rule in the afternoon and break the rule in the evening. Um, For honorable and skillful reasons, hopefully. Um, But as I said at the start, what I'm really trying to do right now uh, in this season of my life, um, uh, is really recognized for me a need to know less um, and to be more open to experience. Know less and experience more. Um, I'm currently in the process of leading a group of, of uh, seven students through a year-long precepts course, um, and this is in preparation um, that they, at the right time for each of them, um, will receive the precepts at a ceremony that some of you may be here. Have um, engaged in or or uh, at least witnessed called jukai, um, jukai, kai being the precepts, receiving the precepts, taking precepts, or um, as uh, Bernie Glassman uh, said, becoming the precepts. Um, and so these precepts are are um, are very important in Buddhist practice, and it and it and it again goes back to what I was referring to: how we live. They can be read as rules that we have to follow, um, and they've now been edited and transformed and translated into, instead of things we don't do, thou shall not kill. um, They've been translated, you know, in modern language to, um, we shall promote life. You know, we shall promote life. We shall not lie. We shall promote um, honest and and kind communication. So whatever they were, they can, they can seem like another one of those lists that that we're also fond of. Um, But for me, Lastman uh, writes about that, he wrote about, he also has passed away, of course, um, wrote about the translation of Kai. He says it can be translated as the precepts. It can also be translated as aspects of life. So it's taking a vow to really become engaged in, to become fully aware of all the aspects of your life. Uh, and to do that from a place of integrity and honesty and, and, and suchness, right? Suchness, the nature of reality, from uh, all aspects of our life. Uh, Getting rid of the subject-object distinction is the way he described it. So Jikai then can be our vow to being opened to the oneness of all of us. We're all in this together um, and there is no separation between us. Um, There's no object um, and subject, um, no need for analysis. Um, we, We show up in life and we not try to do the next right thing which is in a program I belong to, that's what we say, we're going to try to do the next right thing, which is not nothing wrong with that. Um, But that that's trying to do the next right thing, which is a judgment. And it's a judgment that I have developed over time, hopefully in conversation with some other folks, um, but a judgment nonetheless about what is the right thing. I'll do that next. Um, And if we really can take the precepts, uh, particularly the three pure precepts, which is what I want to talk about, um, for the remaining uh, part of the time we have out there we have some. Um, and so it's the idea that if we have actually embodied um, these precepts and if we have if we are living the precepts, we don't have to think about it so much and it's not an analysis. Um, it is it will hopefully in time um, and at specific times when when we are fully spiritually fit, um, it will be the way we live, because that's who we are, that's who we become, and that's who we have taken a vow to be. So um, there's a book on, on the precepts called Open to Oneness, and um, it tells us to act accordingly, act as if we were all one, that there's no separation between us, and that when we make a decision about receiving something or taking something or doing something, that we do it not for me, but for us. Like How will this impact everyone else? So I scratched my head and thought, mm, okay, uh, this is the season where I'm going to try to experience. And this idea of open to oneness uh, led me led me to a corner of my bookshelf that's about the precepts. Um, and there are nine books on the precepts on that corner of the show. Um, and this morning at 30, all nine of them were sitting on my desk. Um, you will be pleased to know I'm not going to talk to you about all nine of those books. Um, but afterwards over coffee, if you want to know which one I like the best, we can, we can sort of talk about that. But I, I scratched my head and I thought, okay, so if it's about having the experience, uh, what is this open to oneness? What does this even mean? Um, and then I, I, I realized that the reason I'm in this place in my own personal practice and I invite you to join me in um, analyzing lesson experience or living more is that this past, this last few months, I've had a wonderful opportunity Um, to sit um, Sazen and and, and to be in practice period and to go to retreats um, in a number of places. Uh, And so a lot of those hours that I mentioned when I just randomly counted the hours, a lot of those were hours sitting with with sanghas, including this one, but I've given, had the opportunity to give Dharma talks in in, uh, six states, uh, all thanks to Zoom. and all around, uh, all around California as well. Some, some in person, and and, uh, and some not. But it's a, it's been a lot of sitting, and a lot of saying. hmm, The best part, sometimes the best part of a day long retreat is the sitting. And then there are a couple of dharma talks in there, and hopefully they're useful, and hopefully they're, they touch people's hearts in some way. Um, but it's the remember to remember that the practice is the sitting. And, and us being one with each other and one in the moment and absolutely open to everything that life has to offer us at that moment. So a recent talk somebody gave said that in Zazen, um, the invitation is to shine the flashlight of, of inner illumination in the spotlight of the Sangha, the spotlight of looking out first at how this is impacted by all of you and how all of you impact me. So I decided to really start again, um, not with a lot, a lot of reading, but with really thinking about the three precepts, the three pure precepts, um, and allowing them to, in the last uh, probably about three weeks, to just wash over me. Um, we taught them, we discussed them in the class I'm teaching that I mentioned to you before. Um, and I talked about them with a couple other uh, fellows and, and groups. Um, but I'm allowing these three precepts to just wash over me and to be a really important part of, 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 of my practice as I as I go forward, um, especially because I wanted to slow down and I wanted to, you know, the 16 Bodhisattva precepts can be very complicated and, and a little daunting, you know, because even though they say that there's, you know, that they're a guide to how we should behave, still feels like a lot of rules we have to follow. So um, the invitation of the pure, three pure precepts, it seems to me, um, is important um, and, and always been important in these times. And for those who might not remember exactly, the three precepts are pretty simple. To do good, um, to avoid doing evil, and to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. So to do good, to avoid doing evil, and to live and be lived um, for the benefit of all beings. So I thought, wow, you know, to do, to starting with avoiding doing evil, I thought, well, now that could be um, challenging and judgmental and who gets to decide what's evil and what's not evil and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, and so I thought, hmm, that, that, there's a problem there for me. I want to think about that. And, and so in some of the discussions I've had and some of the uh, my, mindfulness I've aroused and some of the things I've read, um, I, get this, I get this wonderful definition of evil, which is if you think of, of the principles of Buddhist life as interconnectedness, that we all are interconnected then the practice of evil is anything that moves to separate us from one another. Anything that I might do um, that, that causes there to be a distinction between you and me or a separation between me and a person I meet on the street or um, between people I don't meet because of whatever, I, whatever behavior I've done or attitude I've developed or belief I've come up with, that causes me not to be fully present when I'm uh, face-to-face with another human being. And so on that level, if I think about, oh, so I'm, I'm making an agreement of vow, a pure precept um, to not do evil. It's a simple process of, hmm, so this vow is about not doing anything that would separate or cause cause uh, a rift, cause a break in the community, in the Sangha, in my family, in, in my relationships. That seems much more doable. And then to do good, obviously, then is the reverse of that, right? To do good is to do things that enable us to be in better communication with each other, to feel safer with each other, to take the journey we need to health and healing and spiritual fitness together. Um, and so finding ways to do that, skillful means, as as we sometimes refer to it in, in our practice, um, finding the right way to say things or to be quiet and not say anything at all and just be present and allow somebody to have the experience of his or their journey. Um, and to support that, um, no questions asked, just to support it, to be fully present and not be dealing with my innate desire to fix or correct or guide or lead. Um, uh, Mel Weitzman in the Berkeley Zen Center, when addressing a, a group of us that were about to be ordained, said, "In many denominations and faiths, the leader leads the flock to salvation or awakening or heaven or whatever. And in in Zen practice." Um, the priest or the teacher is a gardener, and you plant the garden um, and step back and watch what happens. Stay out of the way of what happens. You just plant the garden. That seemed good to me. Um, and then the third is to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. And that simply is a reflection on, on the first two and a reminder um, that our practice isn't as wonderful as it is to be in this room with the 20 of us today. Um, this is not the whole of the practice. The practice is all those folks that are outside with those noisy dogs um, and, and people that live in the neighborhood and, and the people that you know we will encounter um, and, and the people um, running our local and, and state and federal governments and our religious organizations and that sort of thing. So I found another um, reading um, from everyday Zen folks of the three, uh, three precepts, and they say I vow to ref- Refrain from action that increases suffering. This is the intention to always practice a wise restraint. Number two, I vow to perform all action that increases awareness. This is the intention to actually do what occurs to us that can make ourselves and others truly happy. And three, I vow to live with and for all beings. This is the intention to always try to see everything with an unselfish eye. So again, that concept of not thinking me, but thinking us first. And, and thinking of whatever the action I'm about to take or, or the thing I'm about to do, how do I do that in a way that at the very least causes no harm, um, but hopefully um, increases um, our opportunity to live safely um, and, in fact, with some joy and delight? So in the book um, Open to Oneness, which, which covers these themes, um, the author Nancy Baki, Baker is her name, uh, reminds us that understanding and speaking even skillfully about the precept is, is, is like a mystic who sees things. Um, but our invitation isn't just to see them. As Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, she says, it's to move past understanding, uh, talking about the precept, um, to move past understanding and talking about the precept and actually become the precept, she says. She uses the expression, living out of the precepts. They become the ground upon which we practice and upon which we live in complete interconnection. This is the gift of Zazen and importantly, getting up from our seats in Zazen and having the mind of Zazen as the basis of our lives everywhere. So this is again, as as I mentioned earlier, our responsibility becomes careful responsiveness and our focus changes from me to us. So, Yogin said, body and mind fall away. Uh, Dogen uh, uses that as the name for um, Zazen um, and talks about complete, unsurpassed, perfect enlightenment. Now, there's something that could be a little daunting. It's, I'll go out today and have um, put, uh, complete, unsurpassed, and perfect enlightenment. And then you take a deep breath and you put away the books and the charts and the lists of things that you're trying to accomplish and you think, hmm, if I'm here and I'm fully present, right here and with each of you and you're fully present with me, guess what? We did it. We don't have to take a lot more courses and we don't have to mark off checklists and, and mostly we don't have to live in shame and regret and worry that we're not doing it perfectly. We can get rid of all of that um, and go back to the three peer precepts. Uh, you know, if I live in a way that doesn't create any separation um, between you and me, I will live happier and healthier. And I now know that if I'm happier and healthier, each of you has an opportunity to be happier and healthier. And if you're living in a way that's happier and healthier, I have a way to be happier and healthier. And, you know, that's really not a complicated, philosophical, psychological thought. It's just that if I have less um, jagged edges that I'm walking through the room with, that you're less likely to bump into one of them. And so my uh, capacity um, to think about how I'm showing up um, do I want to be my well-deserved, grumpy old man? You know, age-wise, I'm entitled to not be a grumpy old man from time to time. Um, but if I do that, um, does that make separation? Does that make space between somebody who, who, is, in pre- who is present with me or, or who doesn't want to be present with me because I'm a grumpy old man? Um, and, and so it's, it's that sort of simple um, understanding of these precepts. Um, and so when they talk about do no evil, And, you know, my my gut instinct, you know, my career has been in something called positive psychology. So my gut instinct is to say, we're not evil. We're not broken. We're not damaged. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get over all that. Um, And the fact is, don't do evil. Don't do anything that separates. And if I take a deep breath and think, have there been times in my life long ago and recently, well, and I've probably been more concerned about accomplishing some real or imagined goal and timeline that I have um, in getting from one place to another. Um, uh, but two months ago, I you not really taken the subway. to Forest Hill Station. There's an elevator that goes from one floor to the next, about every 45 minutes, it seems to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I had somewhere terribly important to be. I can't remember where that was right now. Um, and I could hear voices coming down the hallway. And I had the right, uh, my, my Buddha nature was intact. The right answer was, hold, put your hand on that door. Hold it till they come around the door. And then I thought, I really have to get where I'm going. And I pushed them out. The door started to close. But I opened the door back up. The person came around the corner. And it was an elderly woman on a cane and an attendant who was helping her towards the elevators. So, so I didn't have a straight shot, you know, um, to to not doing evil, but I, I got there eventually, and I think that's okay. I think it's you know, um, there are times life is life, and and nobody said life's going to be perfect or any of us is going to be perfect. But if I live from this wholehearted place um, of wanting to in, embody the three pure precepts and and the other precepts for that matter, um, Koshin uh, Perry uh, Paley Ellison, who's a the founder of the New York Center for Contemplative Care, um, says, uh, precepts do not have to be heavy and burdensome, it can be viewed as joyful guiding lights. And we're invited to think of the precepts um, as a lighthouse and the lighthouse guides the boats in the harbor um, to come to the harbor, to come home, right? And so we come home to ourselves, we come home to our precepts, we come home to, the, to being Buddhists, um, but they're the purpose for the lighthouse and the reason it is so it can shine the light when you're getting into something that's dangerous. You know, if I'm about to push that button and close the door on, on, on and by the way, an elderly lady on a cane, she's probably 65. <laughs> and I'm 72 this week. So I have that way of looking at people. I just do it upstairs it's also. New people I'm calling them elderly. Um, so there's something else to work on this week. Um, but, you know, when I'm about to push that button, it's like the, if I'm living from my precepts, if I'm really living in it, it's like nah. yeah. you can wait. whatever it is that you're going to, you can wait. And this person may not have had anybody extend the, kind, never mind the elevator door, just extend the kindness and say good morning. And we had a nice chat going up in the elevator and, and you know um, that's the possibility of doing good. The possibility is to say, ah, this isn't about me. this is about us. This elevator, even though it runs only every 45 minutes, as best I can tell, um, actually holds a bunch of people. So, we could have a connection in these few minutes in this endless amount of time it takes to get up the stairs. So, um, instead, um, we stop thinking about answers for our questions that are about why. So, um, you know, the precepts, you study a precept and it says um, uh, you must not uh, talk about other people in the Sangha in a disparaging way. Um, and usually our know, answer is, well, why? <laughs> why? Um, if I say something that's like, well, was that bad? Why did I say that? What was it? And then, you know, I'm going to try to live by the precept that says not to talk about other people um, or not to take things that aren't mine, aren't freely given. And that's why, or you know, and the answer is why do I have to do that? And the answer is because it's a precept. Um, and the joy of the pure pre, the three pure precepts. When we get past all the details, which which are helpful and useful, uh, but when we start to live from the precepts, it's like ah, uh, the reason that I speak with kindness and I listen. Um, with respectful curiosity, and I respond instead of react. Is because I'm trying to not to um, increase connection and not to create separation. Really simple. I can I can do that, um, and I, I hope all of you can and probably do. Um, and they don't have to have a whole checklist because for me the way my mind works, if I have a whole checklist of 16 principles, I can say as I take the last donut from the plate, ah, what <laughs> because that's a matter of taking what's not freely given. If there are 16 of us here and there's one donut left mm-hmm. and I take it, there's that precept. Um, my mind works in such a way as, well, I didn't kill anything today. <laughs> you know, I didn't disparage triple treasure. So that donut is mine. But if I go back to the pure three pure precepts and I go back to this place that I'm trying to live a life of compassion and connection, um, then then I make different choices and I do different things. So Robert Aiken, um describes this interrelatedness in his book, Mind of Clover, this way. You and I come forth as possibilities of essential nature, alone and independent as stars, reflecting and being reflected by all things. My life and yours unfolding are the unfolding realization of total aloneness and total intimacy. Total aloneness and total intimacy. We've all heard the story of Indra's net, which is that the net is, is a, whole series of little boxes with knots, right? Uh, And and the net is only as strong as each of its knots. Each knot relies on the other knots in that net. And in Indra's net, um, the knots all have little reflective um, uh, jewels in each knot of the entire net. So when you look at it, it's this strong, powerful net that can catch many things and can hold many things. Um, And part of it is because each one is a reflection of the other. That ultimate interconnectedness, that ultimate um, each one is separate, you know, in the, in the, in the squares of the net, um, but each one is also intimately connected to each other. So I think um, that's enough for me today, but um, the idea of the, the invitation is to go back to the basics, whatever they are for you. For me right now, they're these, these three precepts um, and this idea of, of uh, not doing evil, which is creating separateness, um, only to do good, which is anything that brings us together, keeps us safe um, and connected to one another, um, and to live for the benefit of all beings. But it's really, for me, the way been, I'm working with that right now is just to make decisions based on us um, and, uh, and not me. So those are the things. And then as, just as a gift, because this is the best poetry book ever written, uh, I just want to share with you one poem um, that um, is, in, is in this book. And again, um, the book is called uh, Above Ground, it's by Pletsio, Um, and this poem is called Expedience. When I received the call about my uncle's death, I was sad but not surprised. You can still mourn the damage done by a storm, even if you stood on the shore and saw it coming. For a long time in my family, we had this habit of talking about things without actually talking about them. My uncle struggled for a long time with his demons, the demons we couldn't see. Hmm. See, there I go again, making another metaphor, describing something as a monster because I'm too scared to call it anomalous. Removing a single brick can cause the entire house to crumble. A small amount of gasoline floating atop an ocean can still start a fire. So. The idea there and from my heart to yours and and hopefully from your hearts to each other's um, is we have this wonderful, beautiful invitation um, to just simply remember that we are all interconnected um, and that that's the pure practice of Buddha's way and our pure practice as Bodhisattvas. Thank you. And I think we have a little time if anybody has a comment
1: or a question. So I'm just trying to, Wrap my head around your definition of evil, which is different than the modern version, which is very narrow. Yours seems very broad, and you know, the whole grumpy old man example. Like, but the, then you think about like just the world in general, even San Francisco. There's a lot of grumpy old men, grumpy old women, grumpy old non-binary people. You go to Safeway in the morning, it's teeming with evil by that definition. So how do you have how do you keep such a broad definition of evil, then not be judgmental? about everyone else who seems to be doing evil by your definition? Yeah, thank you. Good question. I, I can wake up on a Wednesday
0: morning um, intent on dismantling the Republican party in the United States <laughs> uh, and putting all of those people in a training program uh, on an island somewhere, um, and et cetera, et cetera. Or uh, going, I go to a seven A.M. recovery meeting near Safeway. Uh, and so at 6.30, I'm often there getting a coffee and- That's evil. Lots of lots of stuff in there to be concerned about. And I can at times think, you know, I I shouldn't be a retired person. I should open a shelter where these folks can come and get nourishment and food. And, you know, so it can go in the sense of the Republicans or in the sense of yeah. helping folks who are currently in a tough place. Um and and in both cases responding from that. Um, and the fact of the matter is that I spent a lot of time in my life and I, I was engaged in lots of things like that. Um, but I spent a lot of time sort of like the hamster running on that wheel. And it's like, oh, the, uh, the hungry folks that are in Safeway um, in first thing in the morning are the Republicans who are doing horrible, truly evil things, right? Um, the fact of the matter is what I really, according to our practices, what I really can control is fear. What I really control is how I show up. Um, and do I um, uh, decide not to go through that Safeway uh, as a, because those people are in there and they make me uncomfortable? Um, that's that's one way of showing up Um, and that makes distinction that makes separation between me and them and between me and the folks that are working in Safeway who feel truly put upon most of the time Um, and so so what I can control is me and how I show up in the world as hopefully a a presence of calmness um, and to help out in ways that I can Um, and you know on the other side of that the other Example I use, uh, you know, I can, I do what I can do. I you know I can't block out all the Republicans um, that vote wrong on uh, issues of social justice and human rights and health care for kids. Um, even if I you know on, on Wednesday morning I might want to, but the fact is I can be engaged in in efforts to reach out to transgender and non-binary youth. Um, I can be engaged in voting I can be engaged in some things that I actually can do um, that that can in my way bring the the world closer and to you know as I said to live uh for all beings you know to live and be lived by all beings um, doesn't mean that I have to literally you know this we have an organization called codependence Anonymous if I actually on Wednesday morning thought I could fix all of those things um, somebody would help me get some scope and get some perspective um but what I can do is show up honestly and with integrity um, and um, not use this these three vows as an opportunity to slouch to the back of my room and do nothing, um, but instead to use them to be fully alive, to be fully alive with all the challenges and the joys that, life's, that life brings.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess to follow up on that, you know, whether it's a grumpy person making the entire Safeway experience horrible for everyone there, or whether it's a Republican um, trying to legislate girls' sports, um, it feels like there's othering, you know, you know, you're not, um, you know, you said that this act is evil, it be evil if I did it, I'm acknowledging the evil that they're doing it. But that itself feels like you're creating distance by just your, Chris McDevote, the horrible person doing horrible things at Safeway or the horrible, you know, politician.
0: Well, I think as the famous Buddhist philosopher Elsa said, let it go, right? Oh, no. You know, that there's things that, that you can have an impact on and there's things that you can't have an impact on. I can walk around in Safeway at seven o'clock in the morning being friendly and kind. Um, and that's one less person who's being either um, loud and, and dysregulated um, or freaked out by the person that's loud and dysregulated or standing in the line loudly talking about how awful sexual and is the worst place ever because that defines that, you know, everybody that hears that, you know, if not having the experience of being in the ugliest, most horrible, unsafe, safe way in the known world, um, instead, you know, I could turn to you and the two of us could talk about, you know, I was going to say basketball, but that would work for me, <laughs> something that's current. I'm just on, in the newspaper that things are not going well, evidently. But but we can talk about something we know instead of you know um, is that is that your favorite juice or whatever yes. it is you're holding it on and and tone down some of that that uh, you know so it's it's like it's like looking at how we, and then looking at the context right taking the backwards step and looking at the context and creating some peace and harmony even in a small way um, and so that's what I mean it's it's not to ignore um, it is when we say those things you know there are people in Safeway that are that are you know, uh, disregulated and, and unhappy and being loud and sometimes dangerous. And there are Republicans who are being willfully dangerous. Um, and so, you know, we could use a different definition of evil um, for those folks. But the other thing we could do is seek to make repairs, you know, to to create an environment in which the context that they're filling up with hate and, and, and anger, um, we're filling up with love and compassion. And somehow, you know, we add to the balance of that. Mm-hmm.
1: For Adam's question. You know, I find it helpful to practice rain. You know, rain. Rain. Right, yeah. Yeah. Can you kind of reiterate to everyone?
0: Ugh. Rain is a concept that's been around for a long time. And because you just asked me, um, I'm not gonna remember what those four letters say before do you remember? Tara Brock has a new, uh, not a new, last year, she put out a book um, with this concept of brain, which basically is to stop and pause um, and and to really act out of a place of love and compassion and responsiveness. Anybody read four Tara Brock's book? Yeah. Um, There's a number of those. um, We used to use one, um, uh, stop, think, um, expand, uh, I can't remember it, but yeah it's a good one. Um, and next time I come I'll just add it to the to the conversation but but basically it's that it's to stop reflect, think um, before you act and so the action should be the last part you know once you've done that. And I think that that's the precepts right these, these you know all of our precepts but these first three these and these three prayer precepts excuse me um, are really inviting us to do that to say ah am I acting? Whatever it is I'm going to do, is it going to add to the environment, to the, to the, to the place where the nest that we're being held in in a way that is joyful and safe and healthy? Or is it going to add to people's fear and concern? And uh, you know, I, I think the perfect example was during COVID, and everybody would stomp out of their house and tell you the latest thing the World Health Organization said or the CDC said, um, which we now know, some of that's so it was, you know, not, maybe not the best science, but even at the time, people would, have, would tell you what the next thing you should do for your health was. And they would tell you by scaring, trying to scare the the, the stuffing out of you. Um, and it would be based on the headline that they read on Facebook that came from somebody who read the thing on, on, on the, uh, uh, the World Health Organization website. Um, and nobody had read the actual study. Everybody had just read some piece. Um, and so people came out and, I think some people really from a place of good heart would tell you, no, according to the newest research, you have to put a plastic bag over your head and tie it at the neck and, and never leave your bedroom. And you know, people would be horrified. It's like, oh my God, um, yeah. And so that's what uh, the process of RAIN, which I really, I was hoping it would pull back, I guess, but it's not coming. Um, but it really is stop and think and, and expand the picture and then respond. Um, which does not spell rain, but but as soon as we go upstairs, at least one of us will type that into their phone and find out. So rain is recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Yeah. There you go. Say that again, so the folks on Zoom can hear you. Um, recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Right. There you go. And as I say, Tarbuck has a book that is I think it might, Is it called that? No, it's called. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not buying it today. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I'm sure it's a good old thing Nick but that is it's the concept is this is is what what we tried to describe there, and it's really uh, you know old-fashioned uh, way to say that is think before you act, um, and and then for us it would be to think before you act, but then okay, so now you've thought about it, and then feel like experience it. What would it really mean for me to say what I'm about to say? or do what I'm about to do in terms of making the rest of you feel safe and comfortable in terms of adding to the quality of your spiritual experience rather than making you afraid. Oh, now there's 16 precepts that I'm going to be able, 16 more things. Um, Right. So we don't want to do that. What we want to say is that get to the basics and really provide an opportunity for folks to live in the joy, recognizing that there's also troubles, challenges, sorrows, that's all part of life. Um, but that that can be um, if we operate from this place of purity and we have this opportunity to, to face whatever life gives us um, and to know that the easiest way to do it is I reach my hand out to you know, these two guys or any two and say, I'm stumbling right
1: now, help me out. Anybody else? Yes,
0: Steve, thank you for your talk. And uh, also, thank you for eat, uh eating the last donut. And if you didn't eat it, then I would I don't know if that comes from an altruistic place or not. Mm-hmm. It. But, you know, it was interesting when you were talking about the three pure precepts, the first thing that came to my mind that I thought you were going to talk about is uh refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, right. and the Sangha. And then when you didn't say that, I thought it was going to be more like uh, uh, the Dhammapada. Uh, don't do anything evil do all that is good Purify the mind this is the teaching of all of the Buddhas. Mm-hmm. there was something It was something else which uh, I mean maybe the same thing it is the as opposite. those things but uh, but it's just uh, as you were talking about you have to be deeply listening I was recognizing that I was listening to you but I was thinking about what I thought that everything you were saying was going to be about but it was actually a little bit different which was kind of nice yeah, so, so uh, thank you Thanks. Matthew. And that's perfect, right? I mean, that's exactly what this is about is, is that we often listen with our, our radar up, you know, if I, I want to see if I know what you know, I want to see if you're going to challenge me in some way to know something different. I want to see, uh, and you know, frankly, most of us, not you, but most of us have a little radar going on on this side, which is I mean, the gotcha radar. It's and that's not at all what you said. But you know, sometimes when we're listening to a talk at a university or at a program or a community meeting, you know, it's and, and that's the way our national press operates right now. It's like they're waiting for someone to say something and say, nope, that did not come from that book. It came from this book um, or whatever. Um, and the fact is that, like with our discussion of rain, it's like we now know what those letters meant, although I think I've already forgotten again, but uh, we now know what those letters mean. But it's the concept, right? It's the concept. And so the three pure, the, the, the three refuges come first in most lists of the, of the um, precepts. And so you're correct refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And then it's like, so how do we, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we come home? Refuge, come home. Um, to the Buddha, to the Dharma, and the Sangha. Well, we come home by working to not have any disconnection between us and the Sangha, between us and the teachings of the Buddha. And so, those are the three Pure Precepts, which comes next, and then the ten um, Grave Precepts, uh, precepts, uh, the, the checklist of, of exactly how you do it. So, you know, naturally, we want to be with the Buddha and the Dharma because, according to Va, we are Buddha, um, and we are all Buddhists. So, we want that, that those refuges. And then here's how we do it. And then
1: here's some specifics in case you're not sure you're doing it. You can check yourself on these ten things. Yes. Does the dog have a question? No, no. She's she's
0: just enjoying the moment. Very cute dog. <laughs> Very cute dog. Well then, I think um, time for tea and cookies. And perhaps there's a donut up there. This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org.